uh, God's Word to Philippians 4, page 982 in the Blue Bible if you have one. Page 982, we'll be looking at uh, verses 10 to 23, and specifically 14 to 23 tonight. And this will be the final installment in this series that I've been doing through the book of Philippians. And I must say for me, it is a sad occasion as I have enjoyed this book immensely. It is one of my favorite books in the Bible, and I trust that you have been blessed as well as we've looked uh, at this book. And and one of the laments that I have in going back this past week and going through all the different sermons that I preached on this is just the fact that I felt that we've gone too quickly. And we started it approximately a year ago, and yet there are so many things left unsaid and so many things that are great and deep spiritual truths that are within this book that we kind of, in my mind, skimmed over maybe a little bit too quickly. So I would like to start again next week at back at Philippians 1 and verse 1, but we're not going to do that. We'll move on to other things, but let's read now uh, verses 10 to 23 again, just for a bit of broader context that we see in this incredible book here. Let's read Philippians 4, 10 to 23. Let's hear now the word of our God. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Let's pray. O oh God, we thank you that your word is quick and it's powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. So we ask, O oh God, that you would pierce our own hearts, that we would see and wonder with amazement at what you have in your word we thank you for your inspired word and pray that you'd bless it now to our hearts, that your Holy Spirit would be our guide as we walk through your word. And we just pray and ask, Lord, that you would bless us and encourage us for Christ's name and sake. Amen. Now, just to set up some of the context of these verses we see in this letter to the Philippians, we know that Paul is in prison while he's writing this particular letter to the church at Philippi, and he has been or will be for the space of two years. And you can read about that at the end of the book of Acts, how Paul is in prison there and what is happening. And while he's under house, house arrest, 
Or if you would happen to have been in a Roman prison during this period, you didn't get three square meals a day. Your internet wasn't provided for. You didn't have cable television. You didn't have a nine-hole golf course like they do out in Mission. No, you were counting on others. You were counting on the Lord to work in the lives of his people to be able to provide for your needs. Otherwise, you weren't clothed and you didn't eat. They counted on God's people as, they, as the Lord moved in their heart to provide for them. He was counting on the Lord. And sometimes he had an abundance of provisions and other times he had very meager provisions. And he said that whether he had a lot or a little, he would be content with such things as he had. And so we see in verse 14 of this passage before us that Paul picks up on the thought that he had back in verse 11 of the passage. And so verse 12 and 13 become sort of a contentment sandwich between these two thoughts. And so let's read, just for context's sake, let's read verse 11 first and then pick up with verse 14 where we will begin our preaching tonight with Paul's thought here. And this is Paul's clarification. If you're taking notes, point one, Paul's clarification that we see in verse 14. But let's go back to verse 11. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. And verse 14, yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. So Paul didn't want them to misunderstand. When he's talking about contentment and whether he has a lot or a little, he's going to be content. He doesn't want the church of Philippi to then think that Paul's being ungrateful and that he didn't really need this gift that Epaphroditus has gone 1,200 or so kilometers on this long, arduous journey and become sick almost to the point of death, the church of Philippi could be thinking and saying, well, why did we even do this? If he's going to be content either way, he doesn't even need this stuff. And Paul says, no, that's not the case. I was indeed in trouble. That's what we see at the end of verse 14. And you have kindly shared what you have with me, that we are partners in this ministry. Partners together, you are providing and I'm providing a service of God's word and using my gifts. You give gifts, monetary gifts and other things, and I use my gifts and together we are a ministry team in partnership in seeing the gospel go forward and seeing the kingdom of Christ advancing. And so that's point number one. We see there uh, this important point here concerning Paul's clarification. And then secondly, in verses 15 and 16, we see Paul's thanksgiving. He's very, very thankful and he wants to underline the importance of the gift that they've provided. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. So this partnership and ministry had been a continual thing that had been happening over the years and yet for a period of about 10 years they had lost contact with one another and now things have been renewed and spurred on and so Paul is saying here that not only is the church at Philippi helping Paul at this time they've helped in the past and Paul recalls his ministry the beginning in Macedonia where Philippi is located and then leaving Macedonia, eventually winding up in Thessalonica, which we read about earlier, and how the church provided for him. And they were the only church providing for him. And so they were giving to him to be able to minister even to other churches. They were the only ones that did that. No church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving, except you only. Except you only. 
And the end of verse 16, you sent me help from my needs once and again. And so far from being ungrateful, the Apostle Paul is very grateful for all of the help. He's exceedingly grateful for the partnership in ministry, for the ability that they had to provide for him, and then the ability that he had as a result of that to be able to minister the gospel to other people. And they were both reaping a reward, fruit, because of this. And we see Paul express the idea of this partnership back in chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. He said, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. So they'd been partners all of this time with the Apostle Paul. And they shared Paul's trouble as well. And that's what ministry does. They're sharing in, in all the good times and the bad times in ministry. And again, back in chapter 1 and verse 7, it is right for me to feel this way about you all because I told you in my heart, for you are all partakers, that sharers, with me of grace, both in my imprisonment, that's his trouble, the affliction he's going through, all these different things, the beatings that he endured and being in prison, and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. So there we see the ministry, those things all put together, sharers, partakers in Paul's ministry, the affliction, the trouble that he endured in the ministry, and then also the gospel, the defense and confirmation of the gospel. And so Christian giving is not meant for us to engage in something that's impersonal as an activity. When we give our offerings, when we give to missionaries, when we give to other ministries, we become partners with them in ministry. We become partners with them in seeing the gospel advance. We become partners with them in their trouble and affliction. We support missionaries in this church, and we'll Tuesday night we will talk a little bit about that and have a missions report. And our missions committee does a great job of, of keeping us abreast on the missionaries and activities. We have bulletin inserts once a month to let you know who the missionary of the month is. And this month it's Craig Pohl and his family in Japan, and last month it was Chester Chummy in South Africa. And so we get an indication of what's going on in their lives, what their prayer needs are financial needs and we support them in prayer and finances we share in the troubles that they have in their lives we are partakers with them in trials and partakers with them in ministry and seeing the gospel go forward and so there is this giving and receiving as part of this partnership and that is the third point this giving and receiving that we see in verses 17 to 19 and we read in verse 16 let's go back to there even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. That's what they gave. That's what they were giving. You sent help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. So that's what they would receive. There's this giving and receiving. They are going to receive fruit. They are going to receive eternal rewards for the giving that they are participating in. In verse 18, I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts that you sent. So what they gave, the gift to Paul that's delivered through Epaphroditus in that long journey to Rome. And he calls it a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. So again, what they're going to receive, 
Paul says that because they sacrificed and giving to him, that God is going to supply the needs that they have in their lives. Now, we must remember that the church at Philippi was not a rich congregation. We're going to look at a couple of verses in a moment that talk about that. And so in verse 17, Paul lets them know that as they gave to him and he ministered the gospel to others, that the result was that both of them were bearing fruit. The Apostle Paul was bearing fruit because of their giving. They would also be accumulating fruit because of the Apostle Paul's ministry. And that's one of the great realities that we, had, when we participate in ministry with Craig Pohl or with Chester Chummy or whoever it is, the gospel advancement, the fruit that they see in their ministries is not only to their account, it's also to our account. There is a reward for us in the participation of their ministries. And so the Apostle Paul says that they are not only partakers, but they are partners with eternity in view. It's an eternal perspective that is required for us to be able to give in the manner in which the Philippians gave. And it is something that gives God pleasure. That's an interesting concept to think about, giving God pleasure, bringing God pleasure. That's what Jesus did. Remember at the baptism, the the voice of the Father from heaven. This is my Son in whom I am well pleased. And so one of the themes of, of Philippians is Christ-likeness, walking in Christ-likeness in this world and becoming more and more like Christ. A disciple, a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. And to follow in the footsteps of Jesus is to bring God pleasure. We are being, bringing God pleasure when we walk in the footsteps, footsteps of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that is a sweet smell to the Lord when we walk in that way. And my God shall supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. And what a comforting verse that is. But it's often a verse that gets taken out of context. It, it becomes kind of a blanket for it doesn't matter how I mis- mismanage my funds. It doesn't matter, matter what a hash I make of my life. God is going to supply all of my needs. And that's not what the Apostle Paul is saying. We need to remember that every text has a context. There's a context here in which this promise is delivered. And that context of these verses doesn't support that blanket promise idea. It supports the, the idea and what Paul is saying to the church of Philippi is that you have been generous with your finances and God is going to see to it that when you have a shortfall because of your generosity and your sacrificial giving, God is going to supply your needs in the end. So Paul wrote to the Philippians this thank you letter. He wants to say thank you and he is saying that here. He wants to underscore and underline that if you are being faithful in your finances, this church at Philippi, that God is going to supply for them. And he also says it's a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. What does that mean? We see that Old Testament imagery brought forth here. But before we get to that, um, what does it mean to please God? How do we give in a way that pleases God? Now, we are not a church that often talks about finances and talks about giving. And that's a good thing. We don't, we don't want to be constantly asking for money. We're, we're not televangelists. We're not, uh, that's not what we're here for. But we believe that God's work needs a God's supply to be able to, to fulfill those ministries. So how do we please God? How do we please God? How do we give in ways that please God? Well, the first thing that we have to do is we have to give ourselves ourselves. 
to God. And we see that in Romans 12 and verse 1. I have appealed to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. We must give ourselves to God first. What will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and yet loses his soul? We must give our lives to the Lord first. So we have to give ourselves if we want our offerings to be acceptable and pleasing to God. But we also must give as an act of love. It must be a loving giving that we are giving toward. And 1 Corinthians 13.3 says that. If I give away all that I have, so you give away everything that you own, every possession, all of your money, everything. If I give away all that I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Nothing. There is no reward for that. We gain nothing. If we want our offering to be acceptable and pleasing to God, then we have to give ourselves, we have to give in love. And then thirdly, we have to give from a heart of thanksgiving. We give out of the fullness of a heart of thanksgiving that God has provided for us. And we see this all the way back in Genesis 8. And this is where we get to this sacrificial uh, uh, language and this offering language. Now Noah was filled with gratitude once that once his boat, once his ship had finally landed and he was able to get off of that ark and he was able to, to be on terra firma once again. It was a great and joyous occasion for him. Remember, when he is afloat, he is adrift. He's not a, he doesn't have a big helm where he's steering the ship around and a big rudder that he's moving around. He is counting on the providential um, sovereignty of God to land him in a place where he is going to be safe. In safety, he sought refuge in the ark. And that becomes a picture of Christ in the New Testament. In, in safety, he goes into the ark, but then he's oft, also counting on God's providence to see him through that storm. Even you in the storms of your life, you are cast adrift sometimes and you don't know where to turn, what to do, and you are totally dependent upon the Lord in those moments. And that is a good place to be. If you are in that situation tonight, that is a good place to be. Look forward to how the Lord is going to deliver you through that particular circumstance. Have confidence in the Lord that He is going to see you to dry land. And that's what we see all the way back in Genesis chapter 8. At the end of that chapter, we see Noah rejoicing there and having this burnt offering. And Noah is filled with gratitude. He makes this sacrifice this burnt offering of thanksgiving to the Lord. And the text tells us that the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma. It was pleasing to him, this offer of sacrifice, this sacrifice of thanksgiving. And so we give ourselves, we give in love, we give with hearts of thanksgiving. And all of those things we say yes and amen to, all of those things are good, but here's where it gets difficult. And here's where I was heavily convicted this past week. This is the hard part. This fourth principle here, this fourth and last principle here, this is the very, very difficult one. Now, if you heard that a particular individual made a $200 million donation to a charity, you would think, wow, that is an incredible sum of money. Is it not? $200 million that this person just gave away. But what if you were to realize that that person has a net worth of $130 billion? 
that giving doesn't seem as great as it was before, right? And that's exactly what the Lord Jesus talks about in Mark chapter 12. The Lord Jesus there is watching people come and bring their offerings at the temple treasury. He's watching people, he's watching rich people come and and dump loads of money into the treasury. And then what does he see there in Mark 12? He sees an elderly woman come forward with two mites, as the old King James says, and drop them in. And Jesus says, guys, come here, you got to see this. you got to see this. Many rich people put in large sums of money, the text says, and yet a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins. And Jesus says that she put in more than these other rich people did in dumping in all of this money. And so we see here that giving is sacrificial. Our giving has to be sacrificial. Jesus says that this elderly woman put in more. Why did he say that? The text says, For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, has put in everything that she had, all she had to live on. She was like Noah in the ark, cast adrift, counting on the Lord to provide for her. She didn't know where money for the next day would come. She didn't know where food was going to come from. But she gave this offering to the Lord, knowing that the Lord was going to provide for her. And so we must give sacrificially. And Jesus here distinguishes between that which may seem generous and that which is sacrificial in giving. It is possible for us to be generous. And many of you here are very generous people. And we're going to see how generous on Tuesday night how this congregation has been in giving and how the Lord meets our needs as a congregation. We rejoice in that and give thanks to God for that and providing for us as a church to fulfill all of the different ministries that we are involved in. And, and Paul commends the church at Philippi for their sacrificial giving. And get this, Paul even brags about the church at Philippi this church in Macedonia, to the Corinthians. And he does so in 2 Corinthians 8, verses 1 through 5. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has has been given among the churches of Macedonia. That's where Philippi is located. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. That sounds strange, doesn't it? Extreme poverty and yet a wealth of generosity. We don't equate extreme poverty with generosity. Paul does. Jesus does. Verse 3. For they give according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. You imagine that. They're begging Paul, take this. Use this for the furtherance of the kingdom. It's amazing. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. They gave themselves first to the Lord. That was point one in this. First to the Lord and then they gave to us. They gave themselves first. And this sacrifice that they made became a pleasing sacrifice to God. And so this is the question. The question that I wrestled with this week, the question that was so convicting for me as I thought about this, do I 
Do I personally believe that God will supply all that I need if I give sacrificially? That's the question, isn't it? Is God going to supply? Is He going to be faithful to His promise? Is God going to supply all of my needs according to His riches and glory if I give sacrificially? That's the question. And that question the Philippian church had concluded, yes, God is going to provide. He is going to provide for us. And they realized the partnership that they were in with with Paul that all givers are also receivers. They had given to Paul, yet they would also received the gospel from Paul. Remember the beginnings of that church there at Philippi and how we read early about the Philippian jailer and Lydia and the beginnings of the church there. They had heard the gospel from the Apostle Paul. They had received from him and they were giving to him to be able to have that gift of salvation go to all these other regions in the area. My God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory. So Paul was so excited about the Lord's provision for him through the church at Philippi and for what the Lord does in providing for his needs and others' needs that he breaks out in doxology as he often does in his epistles. In verse 20, he says, To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Doxology. He's so excited and all these things well up within him that he, that he just blurts out these doxologies. We see that in, in Ephesians chapter 3 as well. So the church at Philippi gave generously, but they also gave sacrificially to the ministry that Paul was accomplishing. And the result was that the kingdom of Christ was extended. And so Paul ends this thanksgiving and farewell to the church at Philippi. He ends this letter with some encouraging news for them. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. That's say hello to everyone there from us, everyone in the church. The brothers who are with me greet you. So remember, way way back in chapter 1 and verse 1, Timothy is along with Paul and there's also others there. In verse 22, all the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. There are saints in Caesar's household. Now that is amazing. This is a good, great, encouraging farewell that he gives the church At Philippi, the Philippians' generosity enabled Paul to share the gospel and to reach those who we might think would be unreachable. How is God ever going to reach Caesar's household? How could that be possible? Now, we could probably assume that the church at Philippi, being a Roman colony and heeding the biblical command to pray for the civil magistrates, they were probably praying for Caesar and his household. They were probably praying for the government officials. And we can see here Paul giving them the encouragement that the gospel is even going into Caesar's household. Now, we could probably assume perhaps some of these individuals had heard the gospel before Paul ever wound up in prison there. But we also know that Paul was chained to these, these, uh, the Roman legions, these guards, the imperial guards for 24-7, chained to them. And they would work in six-hour shifts. So he had four of these guards every single day attached to him in a rotation. And so you can imagine the imperial guard going back to Caesar's household, taking the gospel with them. It's not outrageous to assume that along with there being Christians in Caesar's household, perhaps before Paul got there, we definitely know there were after Paul got there. And he sends greetings from those saints who were at 
Caesar's household. What an amazing encouragement that should be to us as we pray for our salvation at the highest levels of government in our land, in our country. We should daily be praying for our, governor, uh, our government officials, whether local or, or national, whatever it might be. They need our prayers definitely as we are living in a crooked and twisted generation. And so the Apostle Paul encourages them with this news and then he ends by saying grace to you. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. In verse 23. That's how he closes the epistle. And it sounds very, very similar to how he opened the epistle. He opens it by saying grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So we see grace from start to finish in this epistle, in this wonderful book that we see here. Now in our closing uh, few moments that we have, I just want to tie a bow around this epistle and, and to be able to wind up with a couple of thoughts. I have many thoughts and I have, to, I have to close. I have three pages here and I'm not able to preach all of them, unfortunately. But I just want to give us a couple of different truths, a couple of different things that we see here. We see, for one thing, that what Paul did, he did with all of his might. There was no halfway with Paul. He was all in on every single thing that he did. He formally persecuted the followers of Christ, and as a result, the Lord Jesus Christ personally tells him that he is persecuting him. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? On the road to Damascus. And yet this same Christ, there on that day, had revealed himself as a great, gracious, loving Savior to the Apostle Paul. And the Apostle Paul never forgot the grace that he'd been shown on that day. He was always amazed by the grace of God. He was always humbled by the grace of God in his life. And he could never get over it. That became his life's mission was to then see others have their eyes and the scales removed from their eyes to see the wonder and amazement of who the Lord Jesus Christ is. And it caused his heart to overflow with lasting and humble gratitude and service to Christ and in service to other people. He was running a race. And he was not going to be hindered in that race by other people who were attacking him. He wasn't going to be hindered in his race by circumstances that were around him that were not good, that we would look at and say, wow, Paul, that's how can you even possibly go through that? Different things of beatings and shipwrecks and on and on and on. Circumstances were not going to discourage him from his purpose. Difficult people weren't going to discourage him. The sins of the past were not going to cripple him and sidetrack him in his ministry. Guilt wasn't going to discourage him from this purpose. It was a lifelong pursuit to know Christ and to make him known. Is that your pursuit? Are you struck with wonder and amazement and, and humbled by the grace that the Lord Jesus Christ has showed to you? And then in a life of gratitude, you are seeking to humbly serve and live out that love in the lives of other people. Through it all, the Apostle Paul did not lose heart. He was not cast down. On the contrary, in spite of all of his hardships and sufferings and turmoil, he rejoiced. Remember, this is an epistle of joy. And the man is writing from prison. He is joy because he has a foundation of joy. His focus of joy is where? 
Somebody, please say it. I've failed miserably over the past year if nobody can say it. His focus and joy is in the Lord, right? It's in the Lord. That's where his focus was. It was in the Lord. And that little phrase says so much and it makes all the difference as we battle for joy and contentment in our lives. We have to have a focus in the Lord. And that little phrase is used over a hundred times in our ESV translation. And almost half of those occasions are used by the Apostle Paul in his epistles. And nearly one in ten verses in this book uh, to, the, to the Philippians uses that phrase. Almost 10% of the verses have that phrase, in the Lord, in them. Just a quick survey. Uh, chapter 1 and 14, he's talking to the brothers who've become confident in the Lord. 2.19, I hope in the Lord. 2.24, I trust in the Lord. 3.1, rejoice in the Lord. 4.1, stand firm in the Lord. 4.4, rejoice in the Lord. And 4.10, where we started tonight. I rejoiced in the Lord. Paul, where does your confidence lie? In the Lord. Paul, where does your hope lie? In the Lord. Where is your faith? In the Lord. Where is your trust? It's in the Lord. But why, Paul? You have been scourged. You've been beaten. You are hungry. You are naked. You are in peril. You are in distress. You're persecuted. You are in prison. Why? Because though my circumstances are always changing, I have a God who is in and over all of my circumstances and who never changes he trusted in the lord and in his sovereignty and as long as all is well with the lord and it always will be then all is well with me that would be the apostle's response why paul because it's worth it because look at what the lord has given me he's given me much more than i'm taking he's a debtor he's in service to the lord do you believe that not just theologically, but experientially. Do you believe that? That you are a debtor of grace? What the Lord has done in your life and forgiving you of your sins and giving you new life in Christ and giving you an eternity at His right hand wherein there are pleasures forevermore is far greater than all of the things of this world that are only going to leave us discontent. Because Paul knew the secret. Back in verse 12 of chapter 4, Paul knew the secret of joy and contentment. It's not more stuff. It's more of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not changing our circumstances, but changing our focus and pursuing Christ with all of our might. Not ease and comfort and the avoidance of hardships, but having the Lord Jesus Christ with us through those hardships. This is another lesson that the apostle teaches us the very things that we look at as suffering and hardship may be the very means by which the Lord is going to use you in terms of the witness and salvation to those people around you. That was the case with the Apostle Paul back in chapter 1 and verse 12. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. All of the beatings, the imprisonment, all of these things have served to advance the gospel in the life of the Apostle Paul. And so it is a wonderful epistle that reminds us, Paul reminds us that through trial and through suffering, those very things that we often want to get rid of, we don't want those things anymore, and yet the Lord might be wanting to use those things in our lives to advance 
the gospel. Paul's life verse, chapter 1 and 21, to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. The Apostle Paul, it didn't matter to him what hardships he went through. Was the gospel advancing? That was the critical thing in the mind of the Apostle Paul. I am in the Lord and he is with me and together all of us are partners in this ministry. Let's pray. Oh Lord God, we thank you for your amazing word and we thank you for your amazing grace and how you bear and forbear with people like us who can be so easily distracted by the so many things in our world that want to leave us discontent. Even things in Christian circles that can promise so much and give us so little and we lose sight of the gospel. Oh Lord God, help us to be encouraged, help us to live through trials and difficulties and sufferings in a way that sees your gospel go forward for your glory and honor's sake. In Christ's name, amen.